beginning a series in Philippians here in a couple of weeks. Um, And so what we're going to do together this morning is uh, the bulk of this morning for the sermon time is going to be us reading uh, through the book of Philippians together. I'll read it aloud. You will read it silently along uh, there in the copy of Scripture that you have. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one from the uh, seat back in front of you and find your way to Philippians. If a Bible is intimidating, it, it kind of is. There's a lot of books in one book. What you can do is in the front of a Bible, there's a table of contents. And we're going to be in the New Testament. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians. So go ahead and try to find your way there here as I do some opening remarks about what we're doing. Why would we give a bulk of a Sunday morning to simply read a portion of Scripture aloud together? Uh, Well, we do have biblical command to read Scripture aloud, which, by the way, is why at Highlands Baptist we find uh, ways in our service to read Scripture aloud. Um, The the verses that are in between songs, that's not just kind of a Christianese thing. Um, that we do, it's really deliberate. It's an effort for us to be obedient to a scripture that's found in 1 Timothy 4, where the Apostle Paul commands Timothy as he's putting the church in order. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, and give yourself to the public reading of the scriptures. And so um, it is expected by God from his word that churches, as they gather, would give attention to publicly reading the scriptures. Um, Now, we don't do a full book of the Bible reading regularly, um, but we do try to have God's Word read aloud in our services, and this is the reason why. The other reason is an expository sermon series, which is how we do preaching here at Highlands ordinarily, which simply means walking uh, from one passage to the next to the next through God's Word. It's not a pastor just kind of thinking, what what do I feel like I want to say to the church family? No, God has spoken. And his word brings life to his people. So we submit ourselves to the authority of the word in expository preaching. One disadvantage of preaching like that is we begin, we, we lose the sight of the whole because we look at a passage, of, a section of scripture, little piece by little piece by little piece. Now, an advantage of that is you can go deep into God's word. And that's good for us. It's nourishing for our faith. A disadvantage is we can lose the sight of the whole letter that was written to a church family. It was, in a, in a, in a, it was a real church family in Philippi that received this letter, and they would have read it from start to finish. They would have read a letter. I don't think that you typically read a letter from somebody, and some of you are thinking, what's a letter? <laughs> uh, an email, okay? You don't typically read a letter, an email, something, a correspondence from someone, and read, you know, the first five verse, the first, here I am, the first five sentences, and then say, hey, I'm going to read the rest next week. And then next week you go back and read another, you know, eight or eight or nine sentences, and now and then the next week. Um, so the advantage of what we're doing this morning is we're going to get a good snapshot of the effect, of the aim, of the emphasis of what Paul had for the church in Philippi when he wrote it. So to help us appreciate some of what we're going to be, what, what's going to, what we're going to read together this morning, is I want to give just a brief overview of the background behind the church in Philippi. I mean, these folks lived a long time ago, right? 2,000-ish years, right? And it's like, I mean, they're not real to us. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if the biblical books in the Bible would just become almost mythological to us in some ways because, yes, it's God's Word and it's helpful and it's instructive and we need to listen to it and obey it, but we we, we can become so detached from the people that originally received this letter 
were real people. I mean, they were moms and dads, husbands and wives. They were, they were people that lived in the marketplace in Philippi. They had jobs that they went to, that they served, that they did. They had the hardships. They went grocery shopping. They, they went to the market. They interacted in the public sector. They volunteered in different ways in their society. They, they had real lives. These people received God's word in, and it was, it was real. So to help us get a little snapshot, what we find in this, the background of the church in Philippi is it happened during Paul's second missionary journey when he traveled through an area called Macedonia. You can read this in the book of Acts. The city, Philippi, was located in this province of Macedonia. And Luke records this in Acts 16. Paul is there. He is seeking to uh, spread the news and the fame of Jesus Christ planting churches. And so on a Saturday, Paul went out looking for people so he could talk to them about Jesus, the Messiah, God sent one. He finds, he, he meets someone at a riverside and her name is Lydia. We read in Acts 16 that one who heard was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So maybe she was there in business. Um, I'm not exactly sure why she was there, but it was understand that she was identified as somebody who sold purple goods. And regardless that she has a conversation with Paul, God opens her heart to see and behold Jesus as Savior. She comes to faith in Christ. She becomes a Christian. We know this because we're told in Acts that she publicly confessed her faith in Christ through baptism. You think, well, that's great. I wish everybody that I talked to about Jesus would do that, would have their eyes open and get saved and say, how can I be baptized? Well, it wasn't all easy for Paul in Philippi. There were those who heard the gospel that rejected it. Um, in fact, there was one more person that got saved, and she was a, um, a possessed girl that had some sort of demonic ability for some sort of like fortune-telling. And her uh, owners um, were making money off of her. People could pay a fee, it seems, to have their fortune be told by her. Well, she hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, repents and is believed, and um, uh, she is delivered from this demonic oppression through the power of the gospel, through Paul and his ministry partners, through Christ. And now her business owners have lost their, their, revenue, their revenue stream, their income, and so they sue Paul and Silas for damages, take them before a tribunal. It didn't go well. They were arrested. Paul and Silas, his ministry partner, they were beaten, imprisoned. And some of you as Christians here have read this story in Acts where Paul and Silas are in prison and they are worshiping God they're praising God and they're singing to God there in their prison cell after being treated so horribly. God caused an earthquake. The doors of the prison open as a result of the earthquake. The, the jailer there, the Philippian jailer there, uh, was, was uh, alarmed, thinking that his life was now um, at risk because he assumed that all the prisoners were going to escape. Paul and Silas say, hey, you're here. We're still here. We want to tell you about Jesus. And the Philippian jailer and his household eventually heard the gospel, came to faith in Christ. And uh, this is the beginning of the nucleus of the church in Philippi. It was born out of hardship. It was born out of suffering by Paul and Silas. They were imprisoned. It was born out of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippi is unique. Um, Paul is writing this, uh, Philippians, uh, he's writing this what we in prison. This is why it's called a prison epistle. We think it was around somewhere in the AD 61 or 62. And Philippi was a unique place. 
It was a Roman colony. What that means is, here's a real quick history, but after the Battle of Philippi in 42 B.C., some Roman soldiers were ordered by Antony to live there. And to live there, um, there, in about 30 B.C., Octavian forced some people in Italy to give up their homes and settle in Philippi and elsewhere. So this was a deliberate political effort to seize control of that land and to maintain control of it by the Roman occupying force. And so they forcefully transplanted Roman citizens there, along with a contingent of forces there, to secure that place as a province there of Rome. Now, in payment for that, so people were displaced, homes were, and, and um, some homes were, were forcibly seized in this, okay, to make room for those that were being sent there. In settlement of that, these Philippian residents were given special privileges, including what was called the Italic Rite. And that meant that the colonists, in return for their displacement, were treated as if their land were part of Roman soil, were part of Italian soil, Roman soil. And so the residents then of Rome, their mother city, they, they enjoyed the same full rights of Roman citizenship as if they, had, were, they were living in Rome itself. You making sense with me on how this works? And you say, well, big deal. Well, that included exemption from taxes, so it was a big deal. So citizens of the residents of Philippi took great pride in their Roman citizenship. They weren't in Rome. They weren't on Italian soil. They were in Macedonia. But they had all the full rights and privileges as if they were in Rome and on Italian soil there uh, in, in that um, place. And so in this letter then that Paul writes, a couple of times Paul references citizenship. And we just kind of let that glance right over us, but it would have been deep, meaningful words to the, modern, to the readers in the present day because he says, conduct yourself, live as citizens. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. That had very special meaning to the readers in Philippi, especially as they took such great pride in their Roman citizenship. So some key themes to be mindful of as, uh, as we read through this. Uh, Humility is one of the big themes in the, in the book of Philippians. And you can see how that could contrast with perhaps some nationalistic pride that the citizens would have had in what I just described. And yet Paul is in appealing to them and entreating them and exhorting them, encouraging them, calling them to this upside-down kind of life. And humility in Paul's day was not something that was admired at all. Um, in our modern-day context, it, it depends on the, on the scenario where it can be admired. It wasn't at all in Paul's day. In Paul's day, in Greco-Roman um, society, it would have been looked down upon, almost with derision, as if it was just kind of just short of being kind of in slavery. Um, servile would, been, would have been an idea in regards to humility, and yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is countercultural. You have Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, humbling himself, to be obedient to death, even a shameful death, death of Roman crucifixion on a cross. Another big theme in this letter is the advance of the gospel. And the advance of the gospel against all other odds. Now, Paul's in prison. They're concerned for him. Ministry partners are getting sick and almost dying. It seems there's problems in the church that Paul is writing to here in, in Philippi. And yet a key theme that comes up is the, is, uh, the advance of the gospel. And along with this is the sense of Christian identity. Paul is writing to these people, and here they are, this 
band of Christians, now that they find their, their unique identity around Christ, and Paul wants to strengthen their sense of Christian identity around Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. And so this is a theme that's going to come up again. But as a result of their identity as Christians, another theme is the suffering and hardship that is, that is part of their life. They're living out now as, as people, no longer just Roman citizens, now they're citizens of Christ, of Christ's kingdom. And now that's going to end, what's going to bring into their life is suffering and hardship as a result of this new identity they have in Christ. But in all of it, there's this simultaneous theme of Christian contentment. Fifteen times, at least, that I've counted, the idea of joy and rejoicing or thankfulness are repeated or come from the pen of Paul as he writes this letter, which is really astonishing. If you are in prison... Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, what kind of letters would you be writing home? Uh, I mean, really, if we're honest with ourselves, probably complaints, confessing the, how hard this is, how difficult it is, how much you miss them. There's some of that in Paul, some of the hardships and how much he misses them. You see the love and affection that he had for them and them for him. But I just am struck with how counterculture of the gospel has transformed him, where in the middle of, he's in a prison cell. And by the way, this is not uh, posh, okay? Uh, this is like stone and wet, dark. This is not something where there was any really consideration of the comfort of, of criminals in that day. And here he is writing a letter that's repeating, 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 be joyful, give thanks, rejoice in the Lord. There's joy. And, of course, this letter is just ridiculously Christ-centered. So if you're here and you're not really sure about Jesus, or really you're not even a Christian, maybe you kind of have an idea about God, but you're not really sure when, why are these people so nuts about Christ, I think the letter of Philippians will give you a glimpse a bit into why. Because there is no one else like Christ. The God-man, the Messiah, God-sent one, um, and the salvation that is found in him. And as a result, the joy and the purpose and the meaning, then, that we find in life, even though we suffer hardship and persecution and difficulty, the purpose and the meaning of life that we have in Christ as his people is untouched by those hardships and circumstances. And that's what we can find here in Philippians. So, uh, this is a little bit of the background of this letter that's in front of us. I'm going to begin reading this out loud, and I'm going to just read through this and do my very best not to stop and comment at all. But let the, um, really let the letter of, of Paul to the Philippians be the meat of what we have before us um, this morning. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read. Gracious Father, thank you for your word that you have given to us, your revelation. You have revealed yourself to us in these holy scriptures. Thank you for preserving your word through all of these years. And here we can open up scriptures and read and know that these are your words that you have spoken. And you bring life to your people through these words. Father, we want to understand your word because we want to grow in our enjoyment and our knowledge of you. Thank you for putting us into a relationship through Christ, for calling us your children. For giving us eternal promises that fill our hearts with hope. And so, God, we pray that as we read through this scripture together this morning, that you would open our eyes, the spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, 
our spiritual senses to understand and embrace these truths. Lord, we confess that our intellect alone is insufficient to truly embrace your word as it should be. You desire to change us, to transform us, to change our thinking, to change our enjoyments, that we might have even greater and deeper joys in knowing you. So, Father, we pray that your word would do a work in us this morning as, it's, as we listen, as it's read. Father, we confess that we are reluctant to change. We're reluctant to obey often. And so, Lord, we thank you for being patient with us, that you suffer long with us. And I pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts with joy as we learn to obey you more and more. So, Lord, give us eyes to see Christ in fresh ways from your word. That our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened with all that you have promised that you are for us in Jesus. That you would deliver us from having a heart that's ever bored or mind that's ever just kind of tired of hearing these truths again. Lord, have mercy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation or increase the joy of our salvation in some measure from this time together in your word. And so, Father, we submit ourselves and we confess our need of you in this time, in this moment, that you would mature us and establish us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray this. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests 
not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, 
Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be brought and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So friends, maybe that was the first time you have read an entire book of the Bible. Well done. Well done. I hope that you are encouraged to see how accessible and how attainable something like that is. Now, I understand we didn't read through Isaiah or Jeremiah or Leviticus, okay? Uh, Not everything reads as easy as Philippians. Uh, But church family, I want to encourage you. Uh, What took us, uh, let's see here, um, trying to do some mental math on how long that took us. Is anybody timing that? I had 27 minutes and now I have 14 minutes left, so it counts down. Did you know that? (laughs) Um, So really, just um, a little over 10 minutes 15 minutes would it take us? Um, Friends, that's very doable. That's like um, a third of an episode on Netflix. Okay? Um, Whatever, it's it's like five songs on Spotify. Or not even, four songs on Spotify. You you know what I'm trying to do. Uh, Church family, I want to encourage you to give yourself to the reading of God's Word. 
so what we have in front of us is uh, next week we will have one of our mission partners from Utah going to be giving a report and preaching on the service. And then the following week we have a guest speaker who will be in uh, who is a former pastor in the Colorado area and uh, is um, willing to come and to encourage us from God's word. So we have two weeks before we will come back to Philippians uh, and start. And I would love to give you some homework. Is I'd love for over the next two weeks for you to read through the entirety of the letter to Philippians twice. Now, I would, if you want, if you're like twice, that's it. Hey, go for it. If you want to read it once a day, go for it. Fifteen minutes, you can do it. But if not, I would encourage you, all of us as a church family, to read through the letter of Philippians twice over the next two weeks. And if at all possible, I would encourage you to do it as we did it here uh, today. Not, you, know, like, you, don't, you don't have to find a crowd and read it aloud. Um, but do it from start to finish, if at all possible. Try to read it from start to finish and to feel the effect of, of that letter intended to those original readers. And, can I add some more homework? Okay. And, if possible, if you have a Bible that you're okay marking up, which I think most Bibles you should be okay marking up, but if not, then I'd be happy to print off for you here at the church, I'd be happy to print off a copy of Philippians uh, so that you can read it and mark it up. I would love for you to underline some things, circle some things, write some things in the margin, some questions, highlight some things. Maybe there's a passage that just resonates in your heart I would encourage you to consider memorizing that passage over the next two weeks, which is simply repeating it to yourself again and again. Find a family member or a Christian friend that you can quiz each other with. So some homework for us to do over the next two weeks. Our children are returning because we want them to be here as, uh, as we have a, a, a testimony of faith and baptism. So that's what we have in front of us for Philippians. And I'd love for you to take that to heart and give yourself to reading through that over the next couple of weeks. If you do not have a Bible and you'd be interested in, uh, in doing this, I please want to reiterate our offer. Take one of the Bibles there in a seat back in front of you. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Also, um, if you have read Philippians before, maybe many times, and you're kind of like, oh, here we go, then I, then I would challenge you, read Philippians in a translation that you haven't read it in recently. Okay, Read it in, a, in an alternate translation. There are some wonderful translations out there. Um, one of the ones that I have been finding very um, just enjoyable to read is the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB Christian Standard Bible. Wonderful translation. If you want something that's very readable, um, you could read the New Living Translation. You could read the NIV, the New International Version as well. Um, again, there's the, the one that we read this morning was the English Standard Version. Friends, do you realize how gifted, how privileged, how rich we are as God's people in this present-day context? with so much of God's word accessible to us. So Philippians. And then finally, here's some last homework. Pray. Pray for your own heart to come alive to the truths of God's word. Pray for your church family that we together would grow up together in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That we would celebrate and enjoy obeying God's word to us in the book of Philippians. Pray. Pray for yourself, pray for your church family as we embark on this.